Greetings everybody, it's Adi Boumaye and you are here for yet another episode of Just a Reminder Boxing Talk. Before I get going, I want to do some late corrections. So, dating back to my third episode, when I was assessing the Baumgartner fight, I accidentally mispronounced her first name as Alicia. I know it's Alicia. I mean, I have a friend whose sister is named Alicia. I know how to pronounce her name. I've been aware of it. Um... I'm very sorry, Miss Baumgartner, and uh, best of luck to you in your uh, future endeavors. I don't know if you'll ever hear this, but yeah. And uh, my second correction before I get going on my topic at hand is on my last episode with Tanner Gill, which once again, thank you so much, Tanner, for being a part of that. I had an absolute blast. Can't wait for your return, but um, I had misquoted something I said the first three rounds of Marquez and uh, Pacquiao's fight was, uh, or fights were not dull, but just like calm. I didn't specify what fight. The first three rounds of their rubber match were a bit calm and like feel out rounds, which was kind of surprising because I mean, the first two fights, it was just nothing but high level, high paced exchanges. I mean, Marquez got off the deck three times in the first round they ever fought. <laughs> making it instantly like one of the most dramatic rounds ever because of what he went on to do so um yeah and once again uh, much respect to those two hall of fame legend warriors i mean they have honestly in my opinion the greatest series of fights ever um i actually have like an episode planned like eventually in the future about their um series of fights so for the topic at hand i'm gonna assess the career of Two fighters I've been a fan of since uh, I was introduced to boxing, uh, the Charlo Twins. Now, I know that the Charlos, they have a lot of haters. And um, I know some of my friends that stay in tune to the show don't like them, at least uh, Jamal, it seems. But um, with that being said, I had to make it extra interesting. I mean, I always want to give my best in every episode, but I want to really try my best. Uh, both are exceptional athletes. Both have great jabs, power, knockout reels, and uh, they're very entertaining to watch, and both have plenty of skill. So yeah, I'm going to talk about their careers, uh, several individual fights of each, and uh, what I'd like to see in uh, the future of both. Something I appreciate about the two is um, they would always fight whenever I was on vacation. I mean, I'm not rich. My family's not rich. I never got to go on a lot of vacations like most people. I actually have a vacation starting tomorrow. I'm going to California for a week. I'm going with my best friend. She just got an opportunity to be an actress. So she's doing some like shows and such. And uh, we'll see what that holds for. I'm insanely proud of her and I can't wait for this trip because I've never been to California, even though both my parents are basically from there. So. Yeah, that out of the way, they, the few vacations I would go on to like Chicago and St. Louis, they'd be fighting. So, I mean, that made me enjoy their fights more. And I just thought it was neat as a young casual, not young, I was 17, but just as a casual, I, I thought it was pretty neat that there was two twins in the game, uh, both being champions. I thought that was cool. I mean, I, I of course, learned about the Klitschko's soon after, but still. Okay, hold up, hold up, hold up. Let me backtrack a bit. Because I know I said I wasn't young. I was 17, blah, blah, blah. Well, I'm, I'm 22. So I meant to say 
it was not that long ago. Okay, I just saved myself another correction sequence for next episode. So, fun fact is the first guy that both, like, fought together was not Austin Trout. Austin Trout was not the only guy that both fighters actually fought. The first was Dion Nash, who they both fought early in their careers. They both won six-round shutouts against him, and then Jamal fought him again. Jamal uh, made him quit after two rounds, and um, both fights are on YouTube, or at least most of it, and uh, it's ringside footage, not really the clearest stuff. Uh, Nash doesn't throw a lot of punches. Uh, he didn't really seem to take much punishment, but that said, he seemed to take more of a beating, per se, in the first fight with Jamal, even though they're kind of mislabeled on YouTube. But yeah, um, he must have just realized in the rematch because he wouldn't fight after that that boxing wasn't for him. And I mean, if that that's the case, I respect it because I mean, just a reminder: if one isn't feeling it anymore in the sport of boxing, they may as well retire because there is no point in taking senseless damage. So just after seven fights in Jamel Charles' career. He fought a man named Federico Flores, and Federico Flores did not go on to have a good record or anything. But he tested Jamel, and it, it's good that he was tested that early in his career. Um, like I said, he didn't maintain a good record, but I mean, he had good volume and persistence. That was apparent when he fought Jamel. It was a pretty good fight, um, controlled by Jamel. I still thought uh, Flores was able to snag two rounds. At least one of them, but um, yeah, Jamal hurt him several times, clearly outboxed him. He got what appeared to be um, a premature stoppage in the last round. The crowd and the commentators couldn't believe it, but the ref said, and I couldn't really see it myself, the quality wasn't that clear, and the camera didn't really show this at the moment of the stoppage, but he said that he had the look of a finished fighter, so he stopped it, and I mean... If that's the case, then who am I to complain? Now, like, not to spiral too out of topic or anything, that fight with uh, Gary Antoine Russell and Francis Bartolome, at least the ref could have said something like that. I honestly believe that that ref had some type of agenda. I'm not saying it was a fixed fight at all. I'm not saying that Russell wouldn't have stopped Bartholomew. I 100% wholeheartedly believe he would. But, I mean, for him to stop it the way that he did and just, like, disappear and refuse to talk, that's fishy to me. But, okay, back on topic, Jermel Chalo also fought Francisco Santana, who's a pretty sturdy fighter, not a world beater, essentially a gatekeeper, but he fought him early in his career. I mean, Santana was clearly at a size disadvantage but at the time he had only lost twice to the then highly touted Kareem Mayfield and he actually just came off a unanimous draw with other top prospect Julian Williams and just a reminder you don't see unanimous draws every day so Jermel won a very comfortable unanimous decision I feel at the most one could give Santana three rounds I gave him two and um he actually seemed to affect Charlo with a, a single shot more than I've seen anybody else do. So Charlo um, held for a bit. I'm not trying to make any criticisms. <laughs> uh, if you ever hear this, Charlo, I'm not. 
questioning your chin or anything, but yeah, the commentary was really bad. They were calling for Jamel's right hand when uh, he was really landing like every right hand that he threw. Uh, they also were criticizing his power. I mean, that's understandable that early given how his record was. But I mean, he still went on to become one of the best knockout artists of this generation for sure. But it was a good fight. Jamel, despite what I said about that sixth round, uh, he hurt Santana with counters several times. It was a fairly comfortable decision. And I mean, Santana went on to retire Felix Diaz in an upset win. And like I said, he wasn't a bad fighter. So I think that was a pretty good win. It was at least a good win for a prospect at that stage in his career for Jamel. So moving on, we got his fight with Chris Chapman and. Chris Chapman at the time had only lost a six-round shutout to Demetrius Andre, and just a reminder, Demetrius Andre ducked Jamal Charlo, in my opinion. I mean, last episode, I talked about how ducking is never just one fighter doesn't want to fight well. It was pretty easy to believe then that the money wasn't right, blah, 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 but I mean, when someone pulls out of fights as much as they do, like Demetrius Andre to turn out, turn down so many reasonable fights, I don't think one could just blame their promoters and matchmakers and all that for everything. Like, no, I, I honestly think he ducked him out. I don't care, dear listener, who one would say would have won that fight because I just do not believe Demetrius Andre wanted the fight to begin with. So moving on, Charlo got off to a slow start. The southpaw stance and the in and out skills were giving him a hard time in the first two rounds. But... He already was able to time him and uh, figure him out completely in the third round, just knocking him out instantly with the right hand set up by a double jab and flattening him out cold. It was crazy. And like I said, they were criticizing his power in the Santana fight, even though he hurt Santana several times. But just scoring a one-punch KO like that, like that really foreshadowed what would be maybe the most renowned aspect of his career or his uh, assets later on. So he would score another devastating one-punch knockout against Dennis Duglin right after. That was a really underrated fight. I have it on my DVD set of Jamel's. I don't know why it's not on the internet. I hate to conspire. I honestly feel like Duglin had it removed because, I mean, it was on... Showtime or Showbox, one of the two. Now, even though Douglin had a couple losses going in, he um would later go on to give harder fights to bigger world champions. I mean, bigger in size, not fame, but like... He arguably beat Anthony Durrell. He, he definitely won some rounds against David Benavidez and George Groves and took them to longer stretches of the fight. So I think that win aged well for Jamel, who was in control the whole time, basically. And I mean, like I said, they were talking about his power early in his career and even after this. But like when one drops somebody with one punch and they get up just to spin around and reel all the way across the ring, like that's power. I know we see non-punchers score knockouts every now and then because, I mean, it's boxing. Anybody can be clipped, but I mean... I think it takes more than just a little bit of power to create that type of knockout. And I mean, not to throw shade, but just a reminder, knocking out somebody like that or at all in front of their own mom like Jamel did is as savage as can be. So 
I think Jamal had a very strong 2012 as an up-and-comer. He closed it out with Deshaun Johnson, who was a journeyman. It was an easy shutout. The thing is, Johnson was one of those... He's one of those guys that just shells up and fights defensive. Excuse me. Essentially fights just to get rounds and test these up-and-comers. And even though uh, he was fighting defensive, and just a reminder, it is hard to stop somebody that fights to survive and disengage the whole time. Jamel still did hurt him several times. He even hurt him in the seventh round. And as he started to follow up, Johnson ceased his momentum like a clever veteran by picking him up and slamming him. So, yeah. When they were talking about, or whenever these commentators would talk about Charlo's assumed lack of power, they weren't really discussing why he would go the distance with some of these fighters because, as I had just mentioned, when a fighter fights purposely disengaging and just to make it to the end of the bell, it can be really hard to capitalize. Now, for Jamal, who I haven't really mentioned a fight of at this point aside from the Nash fights, uh, I do want to say that just a reminder, no matter how much I like a fighter, I'm honest as can be. I don't like to sugarcoat. I honestly do not feel like Jamal had a good win as a prospect. I was really shocked seeing that because, I mean, I just named several for Jamal, but, I mean, Jamal didn't really add much stock to his resume until he got a title shot. Um, And I'm not trying to hate or anything. The skill was apparent. The power was apparent. The tremendous jab. But, I mean, I do want to say if one wants to watch several fights, uh, some entertaining one-sided ones at that. Go ahead and watch uh, Jamal's career before he fought Cornelius Bundridge. I mean, like I said, all the talent was apparent. Like, he would hit guys in the face, and if they didn't go down or cover up, their faces would explode with blood, or they'd swell up. The jab was a freaking shotgun, I swear. (laughs) He was a a giant at 154, just to remind you, like... Edgar Perez, like, go watch that fight. That was a massacre. So moving on to Jamal Charlo versus Harry Joe Yorgi. Yorgi was kind of like a worse version of Juan Montiel. I mean, and he was, like, not really balanced, kind of squared up, really leaky. For what it's worth, even though he was far from an elite, Yorgi still held a minor t- title, and he was the one that first beat Ronald Hearns. And I mean, Ronald Hearns didn't end up being much, but I mean, <laughs> given his last name, that still means a little bit of something, in my opinion. So, after the first round, which was just a jab fest from Jamal, he had him hurt at will after that round. He scored two knockdowns in the second. The second knockdown of which actually seemed to be like an off-balance thing. Like he just ducked and slipped, all that. But, I mean, it still counts. Um, But it was a total beatdown from Jamel. And <laughs> it was kind of funny um, at the time of the knockout because Kenny Bayless just looked so astonished once... Yorgi hit the canvas, and he didn't even pick up the count till 7. But that was another KO of the year contender for Jamel. And I want to backtrack, and I want to say, as tremendous as Jamel's one-shot KOs, uh, Chapman and Douglin were, 
I can't necessarily consider them KO of the year contenders. They would be almost any other year, but just a reminder, Juan Manuel Marquez, one-punch KO of Manny Pacquiao was hands down the KO of the year. Like, I don't think there could even be any, like, runner-ups and contenders because it was that solidified. But that's just my opinion. Not to take anything away from Jamel. So, moving on. After this uh, devastating knockout of Jamel, this is when he would put several unanimous decisions in the bag. He fought Demetrius Hopkins, the crafty veteran. uh, And Hopkins has one of those styles that is what some would call ugly, kind of like Isaac Chalimba. They disengage with a few offensive spurts. I do feel like even though it's not aesthetically pleasing to watch, I feel like every fighter should fight one or two guys like that at the minimum just to really learn how to adapt to that style. Because those, those fighters typically, typically know a good amount of veteran tactics. So, Jamal actually threw and missed more. But, I mean, he was still more accurate because, like I said, Hopkins just isn't really a busy fighter. He fights to disengage, essentially. He looked good whenever he was, like, throwing and landing for the most part. Um, the judges had it uh, 15, 115 to 113 sweep across the board. But, I mean, I don't really think it was close. There were uh, two swing rounds, one and six. If one were to give both of those rounds to Hopkins, I can understand the seven to five score, but I mean, they still got the winner right. It wasn't arguably a draw. One couldn't score that fight for Hopkins, in my opinion, because I mean, he essentially just let Charlo outwork and outscore. I don't want to say let, because that, that makes it sound like I'm taking away from Jamel, but I mean, case in point, Jamel did more to win that fight. I had it nine to three in his favor. Honestly, the most entertaining part of it was Ronnie Shields in the corner. I swear, hearing him, like, cuss and yell in the corner is hilarious. But round 9 and 10 had some good action. Hopkins was landing some uh, really clever combinations and counters on Jamel. But, I mean, Jamel never wasn't in it. He was still keeping up. And, like I said, it was a pretty clear decision win for him and. uh Hopkins went away, and even though it was like the end of his career, I think it was a pretty good win for Jamel. So moving on, despite what I said about Jamal's pre-title fight career, he fought Antoine Smith, who was by default like his best win as a prospect just because Smith had wins over Kermit Cintron, which was his best win. Um... Donald Cruz and even Jose Luis Castillo, even though Castillo was very well expired at that point, he still had recognizable names, which actually made him default. Charlo's best win as a prospect, in my opinion, but that said, any credit that Charlo could have got, Smith made sure to take it away himself. He showed up in terrible shape, got knocked out pretty bad in round two, and uh, I'm not saying he would have ever had a chance or ever would have even gave Charlo a hard fight or took him the distance, anything. I think Charlo stops him 100 times out of 100, but, yeah, he just showed up and made really no effort, essentially showed up to get paid, so, yeah. But that's not Jamal's fault. So, like I said, this was around when Jamal would pocket a lot of unanimous decisions, but he he did at least go on to stop Jose 
Angel Rodriguez, and that was a fun fight. It was very underrated. Rodriguez had wins over Darnell Boone, and I mean, despite all the losses Boone has, he's so like unpredictable and proven that a win over him at that time was actually pretty good, in my opinion. And he also had a win over Dennis Douglas as well. So Charlo was actually really busy, unlike how he was in the in the Hopkins fight. He was landing check hooks and counter rights at will. He had a awesome stretch from round three and six. He seemed to take round two and seven off. I think it was round seven. And uh, Rodriguez won those rounds, but I mean, that's to take away from Rodriguez ever. He, I mean, at all, he put up a good effort. Like it would, it wouldn't be a good fight if he wasn't putting up the effort that he did. Nonetheless, Charlo was easily ahead, in my opinion. Going into the last round. This was the first time we saw him prematurely celebrate a knockout. <laughs> like we'd see him doing the Harrison rematch. But like I said, he had already showed power to his doubters. But this was the first time we really saw him show to us that he has late power. That carries from the first to the final bell. Next, we move on to a very underrated performance in the sport of boxing, Jermel Charlo versus Gabriel Rosado. That was an easy shutout. I don't think one could even make a case for Rosado winning a round or even making any of the rounds close. He applied a lot of pressure, but I mean, Charlo turned him into an effective, an ineffective plotter all night. He was making shots go over his head and blocking him throughout the whole entire fight. Gabe really couldn't cut him off, and when he could, he was just missing. His eyes were both swollen up by round three. Charlo was catching and shooting very well in the pocket. The commentary was poor at times. Like, they were getting uh, hyped over missed shots by Gabe. But, I mean, that was a tremendous performance by Jamel. It was very clinical. And, I mean, it was a good win because, I mean... Gabe almost always is a good person to have a win over, at least when it's decisive like that. And I mean, Gabe had just had or would have harder title fights with David Lemieux and Kid Chocolate. Because I mean, even if they stopped him, he still snagged rounds, gave them hard fights, made them have to work. And Jamel just took him to school. It was a beautiful performance, and I feel it was the second best performance in his career. So hats off, Mr. Charlo. You looked phenomenal that night. So when Jamal Charlo's title shot at Carlos Molina got canceled, he fought a last-minute replacement, Hector Munoz. And, I mean, that went basically how his other fights as a prospect went. And, I mean, I don't think Munoz was much of a opponent. I do at least appreciate his uh, ambition to box just to make money for his son to go to school because, I mean, who can really hate on that? But, I mean, yeah, that was another one-sided beatdown. And not to take away from Jamal, it's not his fault that the Molina fight got canceled. And, I mean, I think he would have shut out Molina at that time and probably dropped him once or twice and just put on a very impressive display of boxing. So going back to Jamal, he fought Japanese champion, for what it's worth, Japanese champion, Charles Bellamy.
or Bellamy, I don't know how to pronounce that correctly. Well, anyway, Charlo got put down for the first time and only time in his career in round three just by a shot that he didn't see. He wasn't hurt at all by any means once he got up. But, I mean, even after that, he really adapted to beat up Bellamy, actually. He tightened up his defense. Bellamy just really couldn't hear hit him. Excuse me. He showed a pretty sturdy chin because all the other right hands that Bellamy found him with, he just couldn't hurt him. But, I mean, sure enough, Bellamy was feeling the power. He didn't want to get too close, and he didn't really want to trade after a while. So, like I said, these ju- these commentators and fans at home that were talking about Charlo's assumed lack of power weren't talking about how his power was making guys not really want to engage. But yeah, Charlo put on a combination and counterpunching clinic in the middle and later rounds, and it was a very impressive performance by him, even though he had to get up off the deck. That was honestly the only round that he lost. And even the round where he lost a point for a foul, he still was really putting hands on Bellamy. So soon after that, he fought Antonio Lozano. And uh, that wasn't that much of an aesthetically pleasing fight, but Lozano fights weird and sets himself up so far away. And and just a reminder, (laughs) that makes it harder to stop an opponent if they're setting themselves up like two feet away. It's weird. But it was an easy shutout for Charlo nonetheless. Because, I mean, even if he wasn't getting knockouts during this period, he was still outboxing guys really precisely and looking good. But that brings us to one of his closest fights, his fight with Vanes Monterosian. And Monterosian had only lost to names. There was Landy Lara and Demetrius Andrade. And he asserted himself in all of those fights. But, just a reminder, that fight might have been close, but it was no robbery. I noticed that Vanes likes to think that he got robbed in every fight and... Fans back him up on the Charlo fight, but I don't really see how it was a robbery. It was closer to a draw. I mean, obviously, if I have a winner in that fight, I'm going to say that. But, I mean, still, I don't really see Vanes winning that fight. I can see a draw if one's being extremely generous, but no. I had it 96-94. Charlo's jab just did so much for him because Vanes didn't really show much of a jab. The jab encounters were his bread and butter in that fight the right hand in body work of martyrosian were good i think he edged charlo when it comes to body work for sure but i mean still charlo outboxed him it was a good fight a good mesh of styles but yeah i do want to say though charlo had a very good reign as a prospect he fought the fighters that he needs to fight, he collected some good wins and names on his resume, like the guys like Martirosian, Balami, Douglin. <laughs> I notice I've been saying for <laughs> for the benefit of this pod, Charlie Oates' his last name differently several times. I I don't know how to pronounce it, I'm sorry, but um Case in point, he fought the names that he should have as a prospect, the recognizable, somewhat established names. Also, Rosado, great win for him. But also, he fought several styles. Like, he fought 
aggressive guys, boxer punchers, swarmers, people that don't really engage that, like I said, fighters need to fight them coming up or at some point in their career. So, yeah, Charlo definitely showed good talent as a prospect. Great talent, actually. Great boxing ability. I do realize I didn't really assess the Alcine fight, but, I mean, that's still on my notes because, I mean... That wasn't a title fight, so maybe I should have said that then, but let's move on. So, just a reminder, Cornelius Bungage really beat up Carlos Molina, and just a reminder, becoming a world champion at 37 is still some kind of feat. Some people like to downplay Charles win over Bungage, saying that he was an old man, which, I mean, sure, in boxing years he was, but, I mean, he still put on a good performance against Molina to get that title, and, I mean... Molina, even though he lost several times after, he's kind of been on like a lowdown or was on a lowdown uh, resurgence. So, I mean, I credit him for that. Like, he even started getting knockouts. So, ben- Bundridge deserves credit for that win and credit for his wins over Seshu Powell and his double wins over Corey Spinks. Because even though Spinks had seen far better days, it's not like Bundridge was peak per se. So, yeah, those are credible wins, in my opinion. Um, Jermel really put on a statement type of performance. Uh, as I had noticed, his jab was very apparent <laughs> from the first time that like he fought on film, but this was when it was very clear that he has one of the best jabs in the game today. Like, Obviously, dropping Cornelius Bundridge with the jab was something. Uh, he wouldn't leave him alone with the jab, <laughs> except when he was blasting him with that right hand and obviously the first two rounds were 10-8 and Bundridge really had no highlights and I think Bundridge was a good fighter so that is a statement win it was a very very one-sided fight Charlo made light work of him and had an easier time with him than he had in most of his fights as a prospect so yes that's a good win for him and a very very impressive way to cement oneself on world level So, moving on to Jamal Charlo versus Joaquin Alcine. So, Ronnie Shields had molded Jamal Charlo into a very impressive boxer. But I feel he's even gotten better with Derek James. This is when he would start to sit down on his punches more and be more aggressive. And he really assaulted Alcine from round one to round six. It wasn't a contest at all. Alcine was at the end of his career and would retire after, but, I mean, it's not like he would have ever had a chance against Jamal. I mean, I respect Alcine. But, no, I can't really see him pulling a win over any version of Jamal. That said, how I've been talking about Jamal's power and uh, how critics were deceiving it, I do want to say that Derek James also had to have been a factor in as to why his powers looked how it's looked today because I mean just a reminder punches are born not made and it was clear that Jamal was born with power as was his brother but also aside from the fact that he was fighting guys that would disengage and survive or etc etc he really started sitting down on punches more when he got with Derek James he became more aggressive but, I mean, I, I had seen him pound some people, like, out in Murillo. He's knocked out in, like, 
a minute or so. He was just like on top of him from the opening bell. But um yeah, Derek James really enhanced his style. I remember in the one of the like Showtime pre-fight interviews or whatever, Jermel said that Derek James really focuses on like every punch, the precision, the power of it. So yeah. And I mean, that also like plays into the fact that Jermel was really learning how to land and capitalize on openings even better than he had before. So, yeah, I don't really believe that conspiracy that he all of a sudden got on steroids. I haven't seen it in a while, actually. I've seen it before. I didn't just make that up, but I had seen people say that he got on steroids. That's why he started knocking people. I don't believe that at all. But, yeah, the all-seen fight... I don't even want to say it was a clinic. It was just an assault. And that was the start of seeing him as the knockout artist that he's known as as known as today. Alcine was looking for a way out by round four. And yeah, like I said, Jamal had a very impressive reign as a prospect. Just given like the comp that he fought, the names, like the styles. So yeah, I'm impressed. Even though that Shields claims that he moved him slow and that commentators on one of his fights claimed he was moving slow. I don't I don't really see that when looking back and assessing. So Jamal Trello versus Camper, I don't really have much to say about that because I don't really think, in my opinion, that Wilkie Camper is a good name. But, I mean, it was another entertaining performance. It was another crucial beatdown. After round one, Camper can stay off the canvas for a full three minutes. That eye cut that led to the stoppage was really nasty. But yeah, once again, impressive performance by Jamal. Moving on to Jamal's first title fight against Julian Jackson's son, John Jackson. Now, even though Jackson wasn't a world champion ever, he still had cemented himself as a good fighter. Just a reminder, he was assaulting Andy Lee. A propose to getting knocked out, and I mean, the Charlo fight was kind of like that fight, just longer, but I mean, Jackson was, in my opinion, putting on the fight of his life going in, I mean, for most of it, he was hitting Charlo with lots of combinations, showing a good variety of angles, getting out of the way, often before Charlo could really follow up, his speed proved to be a problem, Charlo foreshadowed what was to come in round five, I mean, he he buckled him a bit in round three. He still didn't win the round, in my opinion. But, yeah, he really stunned Jackson with a left hand and put him on survival mode that round. But, I mean, I thought every other round before the stoppage, aside from the fifth, that um, Jackson won those rounds decisively. It was the best performance of his career, arguably. Seemed to be putting on the fight of his life, but... This was the first time we saw Jermel show that he has the adjustments capable of winning a fight that's in deep waters like that. And he showed that he has what it takes to dig down and get that stoppage if need be. So yeah, when the 8th round bell rung, Chala was just on him like a cat on fish, man. That overhand, like... I had seen that knockout several times, but I mean, when I went to watch and assess this fight, I didn't realize, like, what the knockout really looked like, because, I mean, I didn't realize that (laughs) J. 
Jackson had turned his back and then took those left hooks that, like, made him fall through the ropes. Like, somehow, yes, somehow, I deserve judgment. I thought, like, he hit him with three shots and then he, like, went and buried his head in the ropes. But, no, he got hit by an overhand in the eye that really bothered him, turned his back, and boom, a pair of left hooks sent his head sinking through the ropes. That was a very savage knockout by Jamal. Impressive win, regardless of if he was down on points or not. So, yeah. I mean, we haven't really seen anything of Jackson since. And, uh, based off some stuff I read, I feel like he has CTE. Not to be funny or to brag about what Jamal did, because I'd never do something like that. Because, I mean, CTE is no joke, man, but I... I don't remember exactly what happened, so I don't want to, like, pull something out just to be wrong. But I do believe that Jackson went to jail for doing something aggressive towards a woman because of this. So, yeah. So, later on that card, we saw Jamal Charlo against Austin Trout. And just a reminder, that was a close fight, not a robbery. I had it 7-5 to five for Jamal at the same time, I thought he won every round of his career prior to that fight very easily. But Trout was the first person to test him, and ultimately Jamal Charlo passed that test, and he doesn't get enough credit for that. I feel the fact that Trout came on late and won a lot of the later rounds is why people were booing and people say he got robbed because they're more in remembrance of the later rounds than they were in the early rounds. But people forget that Charlo was able to win five rounds in a row early. He won rounds two to the six pretty decisively. I mean, the the jab was in Trout's face nonstop. He was landing uppercuts, counters, and even combinations off of it. He was outboxing, outfighting Trout at any distance aside from the inside at times. But, yeah, I credit Trout for his late-round rally. It was impressive. And he gave Charlo all he could handle for a while. I I also commend him for coming alive after, like, a cut of his opened up. Got some warrior mentality right there. But ultimately, Trout was a skilled, crafty, and proven veteran. But Charlo overcame him, in my opinion. Outboxed him. It was a fast, high-paced chess match. And I feel people... Spend too much time debating on the decision rather than, like, appreciating how good of a fight it was. So that brings us on to Jamal's next title defense, and in my opinion, his best win, Julian J-Rock Williams. Even though Williams had that draw with Francisco Santana that I mentioned earlier on this episode, he still won every other fight going in very clearly. It was a fight that that the boxing world should always appreciate. Two high-level, undefeated prospects in the same division. I'd say that fight lived up to expectations. I think it exceeded it. I think Jamal passed his biggest test, in my opinion, with flying colors, or at least at the time. And he just showed he was cut from a different cloth. I've seen uh, dismayers of his say that, oh, he was getting outboxed by Williams. I think he's over, like... Just a reminder, there is no shame in losing rounds to Julian Williams. He is an exceptional boxer. I don't know how much he has left, but he was definitely one of the top dogs in the division for a long time. 
But yeah, the power jab was ever apparent in that fight. He dropped him with a really cold jab to the chin in the second round. Easily sweeping the first two rounds, in my opinion. Williams was able to put the next two rounds in the bag for sure with his like catching and shooting. He was actually able to keep up with Charlo using his jab too. But yeah, in terms of rounds, it was even. The knockdown had Charlo um, a point ahead, in my opinion, and on the cards too. But I mean, he set up a really epic trap and uh, showed the world he definitely has two-fisted power. The way that he dropped him with a right uppercut before slipping, I mean, excuse me, finishing the job with a left upper, uppercut in what was honestly one of the best KOs of the year. So yeah, that was a statement win right there. Not even just the way it was executed, just the caliber of fighter that he had knocked out and uh, how easy it was. So yeah, and that trap, excuse me, that trap was some high level stuff. A lot of people criticize the Charlo saying that they're basic and all that, but I mean, sometimes when I think of basic, I think of average, and um, in that sense, a basic fighter is not going to set up that hardcore of a trap that Charlo did. Like, I think it's way easier said than done to block a couple shots with the right uppercut than come, come back to drop somebody with an uppercut with that hand that they just had by their head that they had to bring down. To create that knockdown, yeah, no. Very impressive performance and win for Jamal. And just a reminder, the win would hold a lot of weight because of the clinical beatdown that Julian Williams put on Jarrett Hurd. And just a reminder, to most people, Jarrett Hurd was the top dog of the division at that time. I only said he was just based off titles. I never, ever picked him to beat Jamal Charlo, which I'll talk about later. But at the same time, I thought he was at the top of the game just because he had more titles. That's how I operate, at least. But, yeah, Williams went on to school him regardless of what happened after. It was a masterful performance. I actually didn't blame Hurd for rejecting that rematch because I think the fight would have went the same way but worse. So, yeah. What Julian Williams did after that and the fact that he looked good against Nathaniel Gallimore had a good and tough win over Ishe Smith. Yeah, great one for Jamal. So that brings us to Jamal Charles' first title defense against Charles Hatley. Let me backtrack one more time. Uh, I know Williams was talking a lot of stuff and doubting Charlo going in, so I mean, silencing an opponent that's talking all that stuff the way that Jamal did has to be such a therapeutic feeling but moving on to the Hatley fight that was a very impressive performance by Charlo people talk or talked about that knockout often but no one really like credits him for how good he looked that night he looked awesome he was taking advantage of the holes in Hatley's southpaw stance from round one, he had him intimidated early, which lingered throughout the rest of the fight for him. I don't really see how anybody could award Hetley a round in that fight. None of the rounds were close. Even when he had his moments, Charlo would just come back easily and outdo him. But yeah, that overhand right, oh my gosh. 
devastating stuff. Easy KO the year contender. Which, I mean, that would not be the first time that he would score devastating one-punch knockouts back-to-back. Because, just a reminder, the best knockout of that year was against Erickson Lubin. This was actually the first time that I had ever saw Jamel Charlo. I had been aware aware of him because I told you I had seen... I had been told who the Charlos were and... Yeah, I had seen more of his brother. I saw him against Thailand first, admittedly. Aside from, like, YouTube stuff, like, the first time I actually watched him fight live on TV was against Thailand. But, yeah, that was a well-put-together card. No matter how boring Erislandy Lara versus Terrell Gachet was, and just a reminder, that should not have been the main event. Not taken away from Erislandy Lara. He won a very wide decision, but anyway, um... It was a well-put-together card between overall six top 154-pounders at the time. And, I mean, Jamal Charlo stole the show that night. And now he's the top dog at 154, which I'll talk about later. But, yeah, that was, in my opinion, the knockout of the year. My friend Scott and I would talk about that knockout, like, nonstop. Talking about how it was such a B.A. punch. Charlo really, like reached through the depths of hell and brought up that uppercut it was perfectly timed it was funny my friend daniel i'm not trying to put you on blast daniel i remember i had went to him and asked about those fights because i was a casual then i was like what do you think of all these fights i had knew the names but i didn't really know the fights that well um or the fighters i mean so he gave me a good breakdown for every fight he was right about Hurd and lara but uh he was like in my opinion the only trello that's elite is Jamal and Erickson Lubin was such a good amateur. I think he's going to show that it's his time and all that. And right after the fight, he was laughing. He was like, I'm done. I'm done underestimating him, bro. <laughs> it was funny. So, um, yeah, but just a reminder that Wayne aged except exceptionally well. Um, because Erickson Lubin went on to record a series of good performances against several good fighters like Gallimore. He had a winning over Gachet. I don't really think he looked the part in the Gachet fight, but I mean, Gachet's still like a good name to have on one's resume. So yeah, I credit him for that. Lubin resubmitted himself, had that really good win over Jason Rosario, but something to make note of is the fact that Lubin had kind of like a cult fan base that never really like lost faith in him. Like I knew people that said that he would win the rematch against Jamal Charlo or that he beats everyone and goes undisputed at 154. Just a reminder, he would never ever beat Jamal Charlo. I could see him going more rounds, but I see him getting knocked out no matter how many times they fought. And that, that is not to take away from Lubin and, I'm not trying to sound like a triangle theorist here, guys, because just a reminder, triangle theories almost never work, but um, I find it weird how people were starting to consider Eric, not, ex- excuse me, not Erickson Lubin, Sebastian Fendora, like, the unofficial top dog in the division, or the one who would unseat Charlo from his throne at 154, 
after his win against Lubin, because, I mean, like I said, I'm not a triangle theorist, but, I mean, he had such a harder time with Lubin. I mean, yeah, he was ahead on points. He clearly did more damage, got the stoppage. It was his best win and probably performance to date, but, I mean, Lubin still assaulted him pretty good. Obviously scored the knockdown. It was a close fight, even if Fundora was ahead, so, I mean... Yeah, I don't really know why, why like it took that fight for people to say he would beat Jamel. Cause I mean, I don't see that man beating Jamel. I'm sorry, I just don't. Actually, I'm not even sorry about that. Who, who am I kidding? But um, case in point, that was in my opinion Jamel's best win at the time. Cause I mean, statement, instant. One punch knockout, no diff wins over undefeated prospects like that aren't easy to really pull off, and they always look good on the resume, so yeah. And I mean, just seeing like Lubin's like bodily reaction to that knockout was scary, but I'm, I'm glad he was okay. And once again, Jamel really stole the show. So that brings us to... Jamel Charlo's fight with Austin Trout. Now, I don't think this was really, like, a highly entertaining chess match like Trout's fight with Jamel's brother was, but, I mean, Jamel won that fight decisively. I don't know why people say that it was close without the knockdowns or that it was a draw or a win for Trout without the knockdowns. That's weird. I don't think Trout deserved a rematch. Like, I've seen people claim either, um... I think it's the fact that it was fought at a pace that really suited Trout that people thought that he did better than he actually did. Because, I mean, just to remind you, competitive does not mean close always. Like, I thought Jamel won 8 out of the 12 rounds. I think that second knockdown was a bad call, which, I mean, Jack Reese, just a reminder, is one of the best, if not the best, referee today and has really exceptional vision. He's caught stuff that... A lot of fans and refs didn't or wouldn't catch. Like, it seemed like Juan Francisco Estrada dropped Teresa Kessler and Visa in the second round of their first fight, but a headbutt created that. And I will stand on the fact that Jordanis Ugas dropped Sean Porter with a punch behind the head. Not saying it was an, an intentional rabbit shot, but... No, I credit Jack Reese for catching that. That said, he was at a really bad angle. And I mean, I'm not taking anything away from Jamel. He still hurt Trout several times. That first knockdown was legit for sure and well put together. It was an easy one for him, even though it wasn't really exciting or anything. It wasn't vintage Trout either, but I mean, he still deserves credit for that. So that brings us to the first Charlo themed card they had fought on the same card together several times but I mean this was the card that was devoted to them and I picked them both to win by stoppage and not necessarily have such a hard time either but that wouldn't be the case that said I do feel that Jamel Charlo did beat Tony Harrison I could understand a draw I mean if someone really explained it to me well enough. I guess one could award Tony Harrison seven rounds, but no. I felt Jamel won that fight. I'm not trying to sound like a casual, but um, I know that amateur 
fights are like scored off like touching and all that, but like Jermel did more damage, which is kind of why like I'm shocked that he didn't get the decision given that. I mean, let me elaborate some more. I do want to say before I elaborate that I had watched Tony Harrison's fights, his whole career with uh, the Charlos fights and uh, I gained more appreciation for him. Not that I knew, not that I didn't know that he could box. I knew that from the herd fight. But at the same time, like, despite like his obvious holes, like his chin and the gas tank he has, he still had a very, very nice jab, a good right hand. Even though like his power hasn't necessarily carried to world level. But he had looked good in, like, every fight prior, and even on that fight, in my opinion. So I think that's more of a feat for Charlo to, in my opinion, outbox a good version of Harrison. Not to mention, Harrison has some really good upper body movement. Like, he could be an on-the-ropes kind of guy if he wanted to. Like, he's good at, like, moving and rolling with shots. But yeah, I thought rounds two to four were a really impressive display of boxing by Harrison. I thought he was actually able to out-jab Jermel Charlo throughout the fight. He set up some nice counters, landed some nice counters as well, but no. Um, I had him ahead after round nine, but he wouldn't win a round after that. I felt Jermel did enough to come out on top. He hurt Harrison a few times. I really liked in the 11th round, I think it was. when, uh, And I, I I have never seen him do it before or after this instance. But I remember Jamel, when Harrison was moving to his left, he switched southpaw and uh, buckled him with the right hook. Like, that was a really clever move by him. And uh, the easiest round of the fight was round 12 in terms of scoring because Harrison got beat up that round. Almost got stopped, arguably. I don't think it was a 10-8 round, but it was a it was a pretty dominant round. Now, I do want to tell you all one of the worst things I've seen a boxing fan say after that. I mean, sure, nobody likes seeing fighters hold persistently. I mean, I'm not trying to sound like a couch critic at all. That was smart of Harrison to do just to, like, hold, no matter, like, how many times the ref was saying break. Let him go, etc., etc. Like, that's some smart stuff. That said, a fan shared um, a clip of that sequence, and he's like, in basketball, they allow teams to get free throws for fouling. Should the judge, I mean, no, no, no. Should refs start allowing fighters to get free throws when fighters refuse to let go in a clinch? So once I told him how stupid that is, because, I mean, it's the hurt business. Not saying I think it would have happened, but, I mean, who knows if Charlo would have landed something that would have, killed Harrison like or put him in the put him in a coma or something like that like obviously the ref's job is to let fighters hit each other until they until one can't be hit anymore or until the bell sounds the final bell that is but I mean that was just an absurdly bad take and I told that guy why it shouldn't be allowed and all of his retorts were the same thing. He was one of those guys that just says the same thing over and over. He's like, holding is illegal, and Harrison kept holding. That said, given what Harrison did, not to cease Charlo's momentum, I would have went to all the judges after that round and been like, take a point from Harrison for his excessive holding. That's what I would have done. 
That said, I personally do not feel like Jamel would have needed that point deduced for him to get the win. Um, I thought both looked good. It was a high-paced chess match. I already used that term a couple times tonight, but it was a good fight. I appreciated it more second go-round. I thought it was a really easy win for Jamel after the first time I kind of threw a fit after that. I've learned to not throw fits even if I def- even if I disagree with the decision, but yeah. Case in point, even though I have it as a win for Jamel, I don't think it's a robbery because, I mean, 7-5, to five, in my opinion, can't be a robbery unless the fighter that won seven rounds scored several knockdowns and all that, so yeah. But man, I I was so mad. I was like, I don't care how many times Harrison runs around the ring saying, I told the boy he did not win that fight tonight. <laughs> oh my gosh. But I do want to say I can tell that he definitely learned from the Hurd and Nelson losses. Just a reminder, he was really schooling Nelson before the last two rounds. And on top of that, he won four rounds against Hurd. Like it was even before the stoppage. He even hurt heard in the in one of the later rounds I think it was like the fifth obviously that's not late but given like the the duration the fight went that was a late a late round for that time in my opinion but anyway yeah I am very glad that we got a rematch I have a lot to say about that here in a minute but I do want to say I had already told you all I'd never picked Jarrett Hurd to beat Jamal Charlo because even though he had more titles for a bit, he just had a style that I thought would play into Jamal's favor. But I do appreciate how he was after that fight because they had him there for... I think they just interviewed him. He wasn't a commentator that night, never mind. But I do appreciate the fact that he was honest. He was like, Oh, yeah, I I don't agree with the decision. No one's more shocked than me, I promise you, blah, blah, blah. And he was very, like, humble and complimentary on Jamel's performance that night. Because, I mean, given that us boxing fans really wanted to see that fight, how they were, like, rivals without ever getting into the ring with each other, he honestly had every right to be like, see, you guys wanted me to fight that guy, and he couldn't even beat my leftovers. No, he was honest. And I, I appreciated what he had to say both times that I saw him interviewed about that decision. Two more things I want to say about the first Jermel Trello and Tony Harrison fight is I do appreciate the fact that I heard some uh, critics of Jermel. I mean, some were like, see, now he's exposed. He got out box, blah, 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 blah. He's not as good as you guys said that he was, all that nonsense. Well, um, I do appreciate the fact that some people who were critical on him were on his side about the decision. Like, I don't really see what Harrison did. He outjabbed him, blah, blah, blah. That's really it. Like, just a reminder, the jab might be the most important punch in boxing, but outjabbing someone doesn't really make one the winner of a fight automatically because, I mean, Charles was more creative, as I mentioned. He hurt him several times, landed the flashier stuff. Defense of his was as good or better than... Harrison's because Harrison's defense was more penetrable as the fight went on but yeah I do also want to say to close everything up about that fight is the judging was kind of mysterious because you know how one says that a fighter really has to beat the champ like convincingly and 
especially if one's a, a home turf disadvantage like Harrison was. Not even to mention that it was the Charlo's card specifically, not just a card that was in Charlo's hometown. Like it was straight up like advertised and set up for the two twin brothers to shine. Like given all that and the type of fight that he fought. I am really shocked that he got the benefit of the doubt there. I know the con excuse me, a fight like that would have been controversial no matter how it was scored, even if it was a draw. But yeah. Well once again I felt Jamal edged it and I have a lot to say about the rematch here in a bit, so yeah. And I knew from the get go that fight was gonna play a role into how Jamal, Jamal Charlo fought, and I'm not going to lie to you guys, um, I kind of remembered that fight as a draw before I really assessed it, because I mean, the way I see boxing now is better than I saw it at 17 and 18, so I noticed more stuff, I appreciated the fight more, and um, yeah, I do want to say I'm very happy that Jamal fought Korobov rather than uh, Willie Monroe Jr. I wasn't really pleased when I found out Monroe Jr. was the opponent. Just a reminder, Willie Monroe Jr. cheated, which is why the fight got canceled, even though he kind of threw a fit on social media about how he didn't cheat. But, um, yeah, Monroe Jr., I think, would have gotten slept. But the Korobov fight was, even though Korobov wasn't an wasn't a belt holder ever. He was still a good name, and he gave Charlo all that he could handle. He really outclassed Jose Azcategui, who went on to have a run at 168, even if it's tarnished now due to Jose's uh, recent drug scandal. And he also was really schooling Andy Lee, a propos to getting stopped. So, <clears throat> yeah, I knew it was going to be an interesting fight. I felt the first round went to Jamal. It was a close round, a close feel-out round, but I mean, no matter what anybody says about that fight, it was very, very apparent that Jamal has a better job between the two. That said, Korobov, to a degree, is kind of like the stereotypical one-handed southpaw, but he controls the distance and pace well. He's very good at catching and punctuating openings for the straight left hand. Yeah, from rounds two to two, three, four, five, two to five. <laughs> yes, I just counted. Uh, he had Charlo running into left hands, like nonstop, scoring some really eye catching stuff. I didn't think it was hurting Jamal at all, but I think it had to be a mix of him being upset about Jamal, not to make excuses, and just because Karabov is a crafty, tricky guy. And um, people seem to really only remember that. Nobody really remembers how Charlo really controlled the second half. Like I said, his jab was better from the start. He really cemented his jab starting in round six. He was edging the exchanges because they got into some really nice exchanges. And uh, he was countering the counterpuncher in Korobov. Well, Korobov might not necessarily be a counterpuncher per se, but he's good at walking people into straight lefts. But moving on, I don't think that last round was a 10-8. It was easily the most one-sided round of the fight. It was close to a 10-8, I guess, with a little bit more like successful following up from Jamal. I think it would have been. 
I thought the fight was going to end. I do really um, credit Jamal for digging down and uh, putting on an onslaught like that, but I had it 7-5. to five. I don't think it was a robbery. I don't really know why people are so upset about that decision. I mean, I could understand 7-5 the other way, maybe. I can understand a draw, I guess, but I mean, uh, I, at the end of the day, I feel that Jamal's record as it stands is accurate because, I mean, Karabov and Trout were really his only close fights, and I think he won both of those, so, yes. So that brings us real quick to Jamal Charlo versus Jorge Okada. Um, I don't want to piggyback off commentary because, I mean, even though I enjoy listening to commentary at times and I agree with some things, usually, um, I'm also really, like, non-influenced by commentary. I also I always catch, like, a lot of inaccurate claims during fights. That said, Joe Goosen did really hit the nail when he said that Jermel Charlo was fighting the opposite of what he was training for against Tony Harrison. Because, I mean, Jorge Cota is, like, awkward as can be, switch hitter, not really predictable, has power. I mean, Harrison has power, too, but, I mean, yeah, I felt that it was basically a repeat of the Chris Chapman fight, which I had mentioned a while ago. With Charlo getting off to like a slow start in the first two rounds and then just like closing the show in devastating fashion in the third round. I do want to say that I don't really think Coda should have been allowed to continue after that first knockdown, but I would be lying if I said I was not amused by what came after that. So yeah, because that was a very pleasing KO. But I'm glad Cotto wasn't hurt. I thought that he gave Yoel Gonzalez, excuse me, Yoel Gomez a hard time in his last outing. I mean, it wasn't a close fight, but I mean, he still won a couple rounds and gave him some work. So yeah. So that brings us to Jamal Charlo versus Brandon Adams. I did find it really fishy how Adams got a title shot as a reward for winning the contender, like, in my opinion, like a, I don't know, a noteworthy prospect would have been a good opponent, maybe eliminated, not really a title shot, I thought that was kind of weird, but nonetheless, even though, like, it wasn't his sharpest outing, I know he injured himself and all that, Jamal dominated from round one to round 12, won every round, in my opinion, I was in Chicago, when uh that fight took place. But um Yeah, despite what I just said, like with it not being the sharpest performance, he still dominated <laughs> the tiny atoms with these. Uh it was really like an uppercut fest. He had Adams hurt a few times even though he showed heart and like wouldn't go down. But um yeah, I was kinda critical at first on Jamal. For not stopping somebody that had been stopped like really easily and early by someone with a poor KO rec KO record, but I failed to note at first that he took a really like drastic weight cut going into that fight. So now it's more understandable that he didn't get the knockout, but nonetheless I I was pretty shocked that he wasn't able to stop somebody so outmatched and outsized. But I think it's actually 
a pretty good win, given that he, um, Adams had shut out completely, completely shut out, not Larry Mosley, that's the guy that fought Canelo, Shane Mosley Jr., to get that title shot, because I think we all recognize that Shane Mosley Jr. will never hold a candle to his dad, who was honestly one of the best offensive fighters of his time, perhaps all time, but he has looked sharp as of recently. I know he lost late, but I mean, he's still clearly an improved fighter and not a bad one at all. Also, before he randomly disappeared, Brandon Adams did stop undefeated prospect Sir Sergei Boachuk, which I think that was a good win for him, which... I think that made the win that Charlo has over him age pretty well. That was a weird fight. It was weird that Boachuk was given, like, hometown refereeing and all that, like how he was hard, hard on Adams. But he did what he had to do, and I'm impressed. And, yeah, moving on to the Hogan fight. Just a reminder, Dennis Hogan, while at an obvious size disadvantage, should have been a world champion going into the Charlo fight. Because, just a reminder, he was robbed against Jaime Munguia and won at least eight rounds of that fight. That was actually very pathetic. I was a fan of Munguia when uh, he first stepped on the scene. I could tell he had work to do. The kid's fun, but I honestly came to the conclusion that he's kind of like Methayonin. I don't know how to say the TIE fighter's name, Methayonin. The 54-0 before you lost guy. Like, that guy's good, but, like, he did nothing for his career legacy-wise. And, like, really padded his record to get to where he was before he lost. I've came to con the conclusion that that's all that Jaime Munguia wants to do. I mean, sure, he turned down Janibek because he said he wants to fight Charlo. Or Triple G, but I honestly don't see him fighting either of those guys. I honestly would like to see Jamal fight him next because I think it's a fight that he wins. I think it's a fight he shows out in and makes a statement win on, but I don't see it happening next. I just don't. But moving on, Dennis Hogan should have been a world champion. I mean, sure, he was at an obvious size to disadvantage, but I mean, he was against Munguia too. Still, it was it was kind of weird. I was kind of surprised that Charlo seemed to, well, not to discredit Hogan's uh, lateral movement. I was kind of surprised that he fought him seemingly like knowing he was going to knock him out. Like he wasn't that busy at all. He set up shots, but he also like loaded some shots. His jab wasn't like as frequent as it usually is, but nonetheless, it was an easy fight. I thought he lost the first round, Jamal, that is, but every other round belonged to him. That first knockdown was pretty nasty. I'm shocked that Hogan got up from that. I credit him. Uh, it was a great stoppage. I'm glad that the ref didn't let Hogan continue, but um, yeah, and I got to give it to credit. I'm happy for Hogan for... Um, Bouncing back and beating Sam Eggington and giving himself a minor title. I honestly feel that put some weight on that win for Jamal, no matter like what asterisk one puts on that win due to the weight difference. 
Now that brings us to one of my all-time favorite fights, Jermel Charlo versus Tony Harrison 2. Just a reminder, those two put on one of the greatest build-ups for any fight ever. Like, I can appreciate it when two fighters just talk cordially in the meetings and just do the talking in the ring. But, oh my gosh, I was entertained. The build-up was awesome. The meetings, interviews, the face-to-face -face for PBC. Like, oh my gosh, every one of those was so awesome. It successfully built up the suspense for that fight. Lot, lots of trash was talked between the two. Lots of criticisms. I honestly felt when it comes to, like, harshness and all that, Tony Harrison kind of won the War Awards. Not saying I wasn't on Jermel's side. That's still my guy. I was still picking him to win. But, um... I honestly thought Harrison, like, <laughs> said the more, like, ooh-worthy stuff. That said, I didn't feel like he was really in Jamel's head. I didn't really feel like he got him to a point where he was going to, like, fight wildly and get careless, make mistakes, get capitalized and all that. I I knew Jamel was better than that, but I kind of thought that Harrison got the edge in the world words. Um, I saw a really absurd prediction by somebody I don't like that I'm not going to name. Not because I'm scared, but I'm not here to, like, clout chase. But somebody in a group that I'm in made one of the dumbest assessments ever. Um, It was it, it was a picture of the two at the weigh-in the morning of the fight. Like, who do you guys have and why tonight? The guy I was speaking of said, Jermel got called a cornball on TV. He is losing. So... I, I don't know. So if one's insulted on live TV, that means they're losing by default. Like, how many times did Ali call Joe Frazier ugly on TV before they fought the first time? And there's countless examples that one can make. That's essentially like saying the fighter that talks more loses. I mean, the no, no, no. I meant, I meant to say that backwards. The fighter that talks more wins. That's not true at all. But, um... That was really weird. I actually have nostalgia with that fight, despite how recent it was. I honestly had one of the best days of my life thus far that day. I was in St. Louis with my father and his girlfriend. It was holiday time. I think I was in fight camp or a fight of mine had just gotten canceled. No, no, no. I had agreed to be in the Golden Gloves, which I mean, that didn't happen. I just realized that boxing wasn't for me. I was depressed. Stuff was going on, blah, 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 but I'm not going to get too off topic with that. But it was a great day for me. I was listening to a lot of one of my favorite rappers, the Jacka, R.I.P. Two from and during the St. Louis trip, I was listening to the Street Album, which is a A-level West Coast rap gangster album. Um, the song... From the streets was on repeat. I, play, I probably played that like 30 times total. To from and during my St. Louis trip that day, I ate some really good Chinese dumplings, Indian food. Went to um, one of my favorite music stores. Actually, my favorite music store that I've been to thus far, Recycled. No, 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 no. That's the place I was here. Vintage Vinyl, which is always a blast to visit. Beautiful place if one uh, lives in Missouri, St. Louis. Illinois and feels like making a trip there. 
and uh, I went to this uh, festival of lights, like, just seeing all these uh, Christmas lights hung up in various areas for the holidays. Um, it sounds childish, but it was actually really neat to see. Fantastic atmosphere. And yeah. And I mean, just seeing Jermel win that fight and uh, the fact that it was such a tremendous bout just really ultimately made it one of the best days of my life thus far. It was a very special day. That's why I always hold that fight somewhere. The, and the entire card was fire. Like, I saw one person who was basically just a PVC hater say that it was trash without any, like, reasoning as to why. Every fight was entertaining. There was a couple upsets. Ahagba had, like, a stereotypical heavyweight knockdown jackout. Um... I was very impressed with the style that Harrison utilized and how effectively he utilized it. With that um, high guard pressure in fighting, like that was the type of style that my last coach got me doing. I mean, I'm not as good as Harrison. I never will be, never was. But um, yeah, he fought an awesome fight that night, in my opinion. That kind, of, that fight, aside from the knockdown. In round two, which I, I'm actually kind of curious what would have happened if there was like a minute left in that round. Even though he bounced back pretty quick in the third. But anyway, Harrison was pretty much in control of most of that fight, in my opinion. That fight honestly looked like how um Harrison fans, Trello haters, and even some neutral fans made it sound like the first fight was. He was beating Trello to the punch. He was really exchanging with him. I was shocked at how many exchanges he initiated. And uh, he was getting the better of it often, which is really a feat for Harrison, given how, like, fantastic the Charlo twins are at exchanges. He was beating him to the punch, landing the crispier shots. Uh, he was catching more, getting hit with less. It was just a very, very good performance by Harrison, that said, I appreciate the fact that Charlo was so patient. He never um, overcommitted. He never went and got wild, no matter how late the fight went. And uh, he ultimately showed the persistence to do what he had to do to get the stoppage. On top of that, <laughs> the man is like Goku Black, it seems like. The more that one damages Jamel, the stronger he seems to get. Because, I mean, I don't think that anybody can really be confident if they're ahead ahead um, on the cards with Jamel or feel like they're ahead, no matter how late the fight is. Because, I mean, that guy's power is going to show up. He's shown time and time again. But, yeah, it was... um. A really impressive stoppage. I mean, the stoppage itself, nothing really landed clean in that final flurry, but I do think that Jack Reese saved Tony Harrison from getting knocked out um, in a more brutal fashion. I do honestly commend Harrison for getting up after that vicious quadruple left hook, hooker cut, actually, right hand cut combination that was devastating i honestly thought the fight was going to get waived right after that rather than rather than um harrison get a count but hey and uh there are too many people that say that harrison lost that fight because he got 
bold or whatever. He got careless. He didn't get careless at all. It's like, despite Harrison having, like, such a good jab, he wasn't, like, really required to just, like, stick and jab, stick and move, whatever, for the end of the fight. Because, I mean, there is nothing wrong with, like, putting a combination together here and there. He initiated the exchange after a while, like, doing that could maybe score an unknowing knockout. I mean, a, an unplanned knockout, I mean, it gives the opponent um, something to think about. Like, hey, you don't have to worry about just a jab for the rest of this fight because you got stuff like this coming your way. Like, no. Like I said, Jermel is so good at exchanges that he just took advantage and ultimately hit Harrison with something he couldn't see. So, yeah. Her no, 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 excuse me. Charlo deserves credit for what he did. And um, you know what? Another thing my coach taught me, which worked exceptionally well for me, was if a fighter is throwing a combination with you, punch with him. That's what Charlo did, and look what it did for him. I also want to credit Charlo for... Um, I already talked about how he was patient. He didn't overexert himself. Even though it was kind of peculiar that he just let Harrison like turn to the crowd and showball all the times that he did. I do like the fact that he didn't let it get to him. My friend uh, Danny Pineda in California was live ringside. He filmed it. He filmed like the entire fight, I think. And uh, it was so funny. I remember he was like, uh, no, I don't think he's going to stop him anymore. I just don't. Then, like, right after that, Harrison got wobbled. He's like, wait, never mind, never mind. And then, like, the rest of the video was just, like, loud cheering. It was so cool to see. But, yeah, classic bout. Both looked excellent. I don't really see that version of Harrison getting beaten by Willie Nelson. I don't see him losing to Jarrett Hurd either. So, yeah, but instant classic, that was honestly a really insane year for boxing, so I didn't have it as my fight of the year. I only think that Errol Spence and Sean Porter and Inouye versus Donair 1 were the only fights that were better than Harrison and Intralo 2. But, I mean, that's still an instant classic and still a favorite of mine. And just a reminder, 2019 was a wonderful year for boxing. And as it stands, I believe, Jermel Charlo is 2-0 against Tony Harrison, who I also happen to believe is one of the best junior middleweights of this era. Or the last era, whatever. So, yeah, the man definitely deserves credit. And especially for what he'd go on to do after that win. So that brings us to the next Charlo card, which went exceptionally better than their first Charlo theme card did. It was really weird that Jamal fought on the undercard, but yeah. I honestly thought Jamal was going to have a close win with, uh, I mean, over Sergei Dorovianchenko, but it was anything but. Just a reminder, that fight was not close. It was not a robbery. It was not a draw. I don't understand for the life of me how... Some people think that Sergei Derevyanchenko won that fight. I saw a stupid card of somebody that uh, had him winning 8 out of 12 rounds, which is really weird. I had Jamal actually winning 9 out of 12 rounds. And this brings me to my point that I said already tonight, and I'll keep saying it, is 
Competitive does not always mean close, just a reminder. Um, the first four rounds, Charlo really took Sergei Derevyanchenko to school. Um, that power jab was just hitting from the opening bell. Because just a reminder, Jamal does have one of the best jabs of today. It it did tremendous work for him in the fight. Um, and it is a feat for Jamal because even though Triple G had already lost a step when he fought Sergei Derevyanchenko and ultimately was able to nick a decision courtesy of the jab in the knockdown. Jamal honestly like controlled the entire fight with the with the jab. He set up shots off of it, his upper body movement was really impressive. <clears throat> he made Sergey Drevyanchenko pay for missing, he made him pay for engaging for that matter. He hurt and buckled him like several times even if he never dropped him like Triple G and Jacobs did the jab like I said was just setting up so much other stuff for him some really impressive combinations lots of uppercuts the uppercuts really couldn't miss Derevyanchenko I like how um he helped excuse me he formed a mouse under Derevyanchenko's right eye just to open it up with another jab later but just a reminder, Sergey Dorovianchenko honestly has one of the best chins of today. Nobody really says that, but the dudes went against four bangers and lost against them all on uh, Jacobs, Triple G, Charlo, and Adamas, and uh, only went down twice, ultimately staying on his feet uh, by the final bell, so yeah. And uh, Dorovianchenko had his moments. I thought he hurt Charlo with a combination to the body at one point. In the ninth round, I think it was, but I mean, Charlo came back to buckle him with the right soon after. And even if he did hurt Charlo, which I mean, I'm just hypothesizing, Charlo still hurt him way more in the fight. And um, it was a fantastic fight. Honestly, one of the best of 2020. Instant classic. Honestly, my favorite fight of Jamal's as it stands, because it was just such a war. And it was honestly one of his best. Excuse me, one of his best performances, maybe even his best performance. Like, just seeing the caliber of guys that had close fights with Sergey Derevyanchenko, both fights could have been draws without the knockdown. I don't think that Jacobs really had a case for losing the Derevyanchenko fight. Triple G did, even though I think he won six rounds rather than Jacobs seven. The fact that Derevyanchenko gave them such hard fights. And the fact that Jamal Chala was able to just, like, really, really own him that night, like, that was a statement, in my opinion. Regardless of Dervyanchenko not having a title, regardless of the fact that he honestly won't have a title not to hate on him, that was a statement win for him. I honestly thought Chala was looking like a great opponent for Canelo at the time. I thought that version of Jamal Chala that we saw could have honestly could unify 160 <laughs> I, I argued with a few Andre fans because they would always say that he was a bad matchup for Jamal which I, I honestly don't think so I think he could give him some work but I think Jamal overcomes him at least assuming they're both on their stuff 
but yeah, congratulations, Mr. Charlo. You looked phenomenal, but I do want to say I'm honestly disappointed. I thought having a win of that magnitude and that fashion over such a good opponent only meant that big things were on the way for Jamal afterwards, but look at all he's done after. He's had one win, and it didn't really do that much for his stock. Ooh-wee, so this brings me to Jamal Trollo versus Jason Rosario. That that was a very good fight between the two best in the division at the time. Of course, there was naysayers that said Jason Rosario was a flash in the pan. He wasn't that good. He had a whole-filled style, blah, blah, blah. But, I mean, that said style was still giving Jamal a hard time. And, I mean, not just anybody's going to do that. So, yeah. There's also some weirdos out there that claim without any base to put it on that the fight was fixed and that and not not even just like the finish. They just say that the whole entire fight was set up and fixed so that Jamal could get the other two belts. Which I, I don't believe that. I mean, why would not to take anything away from Jason Rosario, why would Jamal need to make sure a fight was, like, secured behind closed doors and, like, fabricated against somebody that he's better than. It just really doesn't make sense. And just a reminder, you guys cannot change my mind on that. Unless you have a time machine to take me back and show me all these conversations being had, all these papers being signed to put the dive in place. Or you have pictures and videos of set such arrangements taking place. So yeah, I don't believe that fight was fixed. But I do have something to say about the ending, which I'll get to here in a moment. But um, that first knockdown was kind of funny. It was a knockdown. I didn't really know if it was at first, but that temple shot definitely discombobulated Rosario. I haven't really seen somebody's leg fall out of the canvas like that. So um, even though the knockdown wasn't... well. I don't even want to say it wasn't clean because, I mean, it's not like Jason was just, like, circling the ring and, boom, he lost his footing and fell. No, like, the punch made him reel and uh, ultimately lose balance and do that. So, yeah. That said, I'm impressed with what Rosario went on to do. And um, I do want to say, even though he essentially was a flash in the pan, uh, he really did beat up Julian Williams. I mean, people put an asterisk on... His win there, they say Williams looked off, which he kind of did. But, I mean, given Williams' vulnerabilities, I do think that Rosario did um, always have a chance of beating him. I mean, he definitely had a puncher's chance. I also do think, because I mentioned it was the two best at the time, I do think it was the two biggest punchers at the time as well. So, yeah, Rosario definitely deserves credit for that win. And, um... He actually showed skill in the trial of fight. I'm not saying he didn't before. I'm just attesting to the fact that he was a very good fighter. He has an off-rhythm jab, and um, he was keeping up with Charlo with it. They actually landed a lot of jabs at the same time, probably more than I've seen in uh, any fight off the top of my head. Like, each fighter landing a jab at the same time, you know, but... um. He edged a lot of the exchanges, uh, pushed the pace, made Charlo miss a lot of shots with his like high guard, uh, his bobbing and weaving. He looked good from rounds two to five. 
and he uh, swept e- each of them very handily. And um, I've actually never seen Jermel like show somebody respect the way that he did. Like all the times that he held after an exchange, like I've never seen him show somebody that much respect for their power. Now, um, going back onto how I said people were speculating that it was a fixed fight, I mean, why would he take? the heavy shots that he did to the head in round six. That doesn't really make sense to me because, I mean, that that was a very mean left hook and overhand combination that Charlo hit him with in round six. Like, I don't think he necessarily should have been... Uh, not saying he wasn't paid to take those shots because, I mean, it's a, it's a prize fight, but, I mean, like, I don't know. It just seems fishy to me, like, Nothing about the fight seemed fixed, except that brings me to the end. I know it was around after, but I mean, like, after that second knockdown, that is. But I do want to say, I do think, and hear me out, I do think that Jason Rosario did take a dive, but I do not think that Trello was in on it at all. Don't get me wrong, it was a nice uh, double jab by Jamel, no doubt. It did land. I heard it um, on the ringside view, like, it was pretty loud. That said, just the way that Rosario like caught himself with his elbows before hitting the canvas, the way that he like convulsed because of the body shot, I've seen like people wince, scream, gasp, but like he honestly looked like he was like seizing a bit, like it seemed off, but I say that to say I think that Charlo beat him mentally. I think he even though it was a close fight at the time, I do think that he ultimately beat him into submission. He inflicted enough damage that Jason Rosario just didn't want to take anymore. So, I mean, Sugar Ray Leonard once said, making Roberto Duran quit was even better than knocking him out. So, just a reminder, Charlo presumably beating Jason Rosario into submission is a feat of some kind, and it was a very excellent win for him. That catapulted him to the top 10 pound-for-pound rankings, and he's never left. So yeah, it was a tremendous night for both both brothers, a good card. The Louis Neri fight was underwhelming, but yes. They both did their thing that night. So that that moves us on to Jermall Charlo and Juan Montiel. I do want to say, though, if nothing else, that was a very fun fight. Like, it was fun. I know there's always going to be those purists, those guys that are just all for the sweet science, blah, blah, blah. But there was some really nice exchanges. I do want to say, just a reminder, I'm not pro or anti any network, but I do think it was very disgusting how transparent the PBC were trying to set up Jamal with James Kirkland because Kirkland was beyond shopworn. I wouldn't trust him against like any opponent with a pulse at that rate. I was shocked that he was even able to win any fights after his long layoff because he should have just stayed retired. Kirkland also already had a poor durability and when the fighters that shot beyond belief like the durability was just non-existent not even poor at that point it just didn't exist I honestly had a feeling that Montiel was going to knock him out in the first round I think it was very pathetic 
how I believe Kirkland was trying to be set up for a title shot against Charlo. So that being said, I am glad that Montiel just exterminated him finally, but I don't think he was really deserving of a title shot because of that win. And as it stands, I do not believe that Juan Montiel has a good win. I don't think that was a good win because of the condition of James Kirkland. I think Kirkland in his day would have stopped somebody like Montiel without too much difficulty. I think his relative Fernando Montiel is a lot better even though he was given a rapid seizure by Nonito Donier. So yeah. But for what it's worth, Jamal showed some skill. He hurt Montiel several times. Definitely had target practice because Montiel has such a weird stance. Squares up a lot. Very open. And Jamal really capitalized on that. That said, I'm really shocked that he couldn't as much as put him down. I mean, there were several one-sided rounds. Uh, Montiel landed a lot of combinations, though. He successfully drew Charlo into a lot of exchanges. And uh, even though he won two rounds at best, he still messed up his face worse than anybody in his career has. And um, In my opinion, Jamal, I, I think he was... I don't know. I know he was prepared. I know there's like videos out there of him training for the fight. I know uh, him and his brother went on a rant, on a run, but um, I still kind of believe that he took Montiel lightly, regardless of how easily he won. Um, there's also those guys. Uh, one person that I know in particular that thinks Jaime Munguia would beat Jamal because he made light work as somebody that took Jamal the distance and lumped up his face but I mean just a reminder once again triangle theories don't work and I mean Jamal still one-upped him by like knocking out somebody that clearly schooled him so yeah but that being said Jamal's just disappeared and it's really sad because even though he's been disappointing as of as of what's happened after the Derevianchenko fight, like he's still a super talented, undefeated fighter with a lot of potential. And uh, I really wish he would take the Carlos Adamas fight or the Genovic fight. Maybe I know the two have called him out. Uh, even Munguia did. I honestly don't believe Munguia would accept that fight, even though he just called him out. So, um, case in point, there's a lot of stuff Jamal can do in the middleweight division. I know he called out Dimitri Bavol, which I don't see that fight happening. I honestly really hope that... I know he's really big and can easily make 168, but I do hope that Jamal Trello, like does some more legacy building in uh, 160 before he leaves. And Honestly, if he ever fights again, because I hate to say it, there's a part of me that believes he just might not fight again. So, uh, if you ever hear this, Jamal, I'm I'm a fan of you. <laughs> I have been for several years, but I just want to see you do some more because I believe. I'm a believer. So, yes. Honestly, I would love to see the Carlos Adamas fight. I think that's a perfect fight for both, and I think it's a fight that Jamal Charlo wins, e- even if some slight difficulty shall occur. Okay, now that brings me to the last two fights, the Brian Castano fights. Now, I told you all before that just a reminder, I believe Jamal Charlo was undefeated. That said, that doesn't mean I don't think there's a blemish on his record. I think 
that the first Castano fight was a draw. Now, I had been aware of Castano for a while. Um, I was introduced to him via the draw with Arizlandi Lara, and that fight was definitely a draw. Those, that fight was easy to score. Both guys looked good. Both had a lot of moments. It was a nice clash of styles, but um, it was a draw, and I don't think that's a bad thing. I just think neither was it. Uh, excuse me. Neither was ultimately able to overcome the other. But um, I knew Castano was still a top dog. He was more than a live dog in the Chalo matchup. Uh, seeing what he did to Patrick Teixeira in what was a master class in my eyes, I knew he would be a handful for Chalo. And given the Jason Rosario fight, I knew he'd especially be a handful because I think Jason Rosario contains more power in each hand than Brian Castano. But that being said, seeing uh, Castano's high glove pressure volume type style that Jason Rosario maintains to some degree, but a more educated degree to Castano, that is, I knew that he was going to be a very hard matchup for Jermel. And as huge of a Jermel Chalo fan as I am, honestly, I don't want to say I had doubts that Jermel would lose, I mean, would win, but, um, I also recognize the fact that Castano had a very good chance of winning. So, in my opinion, I felt it was Jermel's hardest fight going in. It even, uh, ended up being that. But what a fight that was. It was such, um, an interesting mesh of styles, even more so than the Castano-Lara fight was. I do want to say that, um, People underestimated El Baxi's style, and there's a lot of misconceptions to it, or at least one misconception. People seem to think because he uh, comes forward and uh, throws a lot that he's just like a brawler that's there to be hit. No, like he's good at seeing what fighters are going to do. He's good at making them miss, making them pay for missing. Good at catching stuff on his on his guard. He has a very compact guard. So, yeah, no. I, I knew that wasn't going to be the case. I thought it might be in the second round because that was a beautiful counter that Charlo nailed him with. And, I mean, right after that, we saw Boxy seemingly hurt him for revenge. And um, it was somewhat of a tale of two fights. Um, Aside from two rounds, Castano was in control of uh the early and middle rounds. But... Charlo asserted himself. People remember him asserting himself in round 10, but I think he did in what is the only swing round of the fight, round 9. Now, as he was in most of the rounds, Albaxi was busier. But, just a reminder, a very underrated and important aspect in scoring around is effective defense. So, because he was busier, that doesn't mean he was scoring more, per se. Like, I remember he let let go of, like, a machine gun flurry while Charlo was on the ropes at one point. But at the same time, Charlo still was able to move with or away from all, not all of it, but most of it. So, case in point, he made El Boxy miss a lot more than the other way around in that round. So, yeah, he was just a lot less busier in comparison, but I I felt he did enough with the jab. And the defense of his, per se, to edge the round. That said, 
the f- next three rounds were a sweep for him. The tenth round, that wasn't a ten-eight round per se, but I mean, he still gave Castano a little beating. He definitely had him in trouble, but I mean, Castano showed guts, showed grit, and uh, never came off of his feet in the bout. And as hurt as he was, I do think he recovered enough. I mean, he recovered, obviously, he did. But um, that said, I don't think he recovered to the point where Charlo wasn't able to hurt him still because Charlo was still able to, like, catch and noticeably noticeably have some type of effect on him in the next two rounds. So I honestly called a draw after the final round without any bias, I promise you. I called a draw after the fight, but I didn't think that there was going to be a draw, given that it was an undisputed uh, title fight. That said, I'm happy that it was a draw, because I don't think it would really be... Um, I don't really think it would be satisfying if either were to be named the winner in a fight of that that level of closeness, and, much more importantly, it paved the way for the rematch, which... I don't know if the first fight was a barn burner, which I think it was. I don't even know what to call this second match. That's my fight of the year. It's an instant favorite for me. I had another tremendous day. And um, I do want to say about Jamel, a lot of people that I know or saw that claimed he lost both the first Harrison fight and the first Castano fight were picking him to win the rematch against both fighters by stoppage. And just a reminder, if... if the general or a lot of the consensus claims that one loses more than one fight just for them to be picked the winner ahead of time in the rematch. That is definitely a feat. So, yes. And I'm not going to say Castano didn't make any adjustments. But uh, I do want to say that Charlo definitely made every last adjud- adjustment that... I said that he needed to going in, which I was extremely proud of. He went to the body more, which I think effectively broke Castano down. He was busier. He was nullifying his volume. It was really a tremendous fight. I have a video of me uh, jumping up and down, yelling at the TV in excitement. Um, At round five, I thought he hurt Castano. That was honestly one of the best rounds of the year. What a... What a round that was. But um, I liked how Charlo was using the ring while he was definitely the ring general. One could say that Elboxy was in the first fight because of all the times he was able to keep Charlo on the ropes. Uh, I do want to go back and say Castano found a home for his uh, lead right in that last fight. Like He was really hitting Charlo at will uh, through the first eight rounds with it, pretty much. But... um. And I also want to say that he was effectively, like, beating him to the punch with his left hook. There was a, there was at least two times where they both threw left hooks, and Castanos was the only one that got there. And uh, the first fight, it was mostly Castano making him miss and miss and uh, pay for missing. Not saying Charlo didn't do the same, but Charlo was doing that throughout the entire second fight. By the sixth round, which was one of two rounds which I thought Castano won... Um, during the sixth round, he started to follow Charlo a bit and uh, pierce his uh, head movement, which, I mean, Charlo totally, like, adapted from that. 
he he became more offensive minded, not without neglecting. I mean, not while neglecting defense at all. It was just a beautiful performance of his. I felt like he kind of meshed his previous style with his current one. Uh, he was aggressive, but he was busy, very reliant on the jab, more reliant on combinations. He won most of the exchanges. There was some absolutely uh, incredible exchanges that occurred in that Castano rematch. And I feel like the fact that he did such a good job and stopped such a good fighter in such a epic fashion just as it really speaks to the greatness of Jamel Charlo. Um, oh my gosh, just seeing that that left hook. I do want to say real quick, um, the body work and the headshots too. I feel it sapped Castano's energy and that was apparent from round nine. Because in the 10th, all Castano did was like walk forward without a jab and place himself in the pocket. And um, Jamal took advantage of that. He caught him with the same double left hook that he caught Harrison with. Left hook to the body, then take it back upstairs. He caught him with that same shot. And uh, just seeing Castano collapse to the ring, oh my gosh. That, that was so euphoric seeing that as a fan. I just knew what was going to come. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Sorry, I'm getting all excited thinking about that fight again. Oh my gosh, no. I I do want to say as much as I love seeing him put him down with those final few shots on. Um, when was the last time we really saw someone get lifted off of their feet before like touching down with a body shot? Like that was something I've seen Gerald McClellan do. I can't really remember that many guys like automatically jumping into the air non-purposely at the hands of a body shot like that was some savagery like i i am shocked though that he was allowed to continue i don't think castano was steady um i do appreciate what both had to say at, at the post fight it was uh very entertaining and seeing them uh embrace after the fight i do want to say that i could understand one having like the first Trello and Castano matchup, a 7-5 decision for Castano, but I can honestly understand people only giving Castano one round in the rematch, at least. I mean, at the very most, three of them. But I said two. It wasn't close at all. Watching that fight, one would kind of forget how close the first fight was or how well Brian Castano did, and it's not that he did bad. It's just Trello was so much better. And ultimately proved to be the better fighter, in my opinion. And with that win, he cemented himself as, in my opinion, not only one of the best fighters of today or this generation, but a future Hall of Famer and one of the best junior middleweights in the history of the division. And I will say, because of that win, because of all you've done, Mr. Charlo, I don't know if you'll hear this, but I can guarantee that there is not that many people on this earth that are more proud of you than me. You did a tremendous job. <laughs> you did exactly what I told people you would do since 2018, which is go undisputed and mow everybody down that was in your path. So salute, no matter who you are to fight, I'll be rooting for you, I promise you that. And that's, a, that's another thing. After I saw Jermall Charlo lay out Erickson Lubin the way he did, I prematurely told him, 
everybody that he was going to go undisputed at some point. Um, people were saying Heard, but I mean, Heard, Heard always had a match. I mean, always had a style that would play into Jamal's hands just because he fights kind of careless. I mean, he moves his head a little, but ultimately he doesn't care about being hit. He'll get hit purposely and still try to wear guys out. I just knew Jamal would take advantage of that and ultimately do what J-Rock did, but stop him in my opinion. So I honestly feel Herd should be lucky that they didn't fight. But that said, the Herd... Fans and the Chala naysayers were kind of winning the war of words for a while because how Heard had two titles, how um he lost his O afterwards. <clears throat> but even after Chalo lost to Harrison, I still would have picked him to beat Jarrett Heard. So yeah, that said, like even after he lost to Harrison or after he lost to him, I mean after he beat him the second time, people were still doubting Jamel and. I just knew he was going to go undisputed, and he did that. So I'm crazy proud of him. He put on um, a masterful performance. Dare I say one of the best performances at 154 ever, at least at world level. That honestly was perhaps the best undisputed bout in the four belt era, specifically. But um, I do want to say I expect Jermel Chalo to dismantle Tim Zhu. No disrespect, Tim Zhu is a very good, very strong fighter like his dad, but I don't want to say he's not ready. I just don't expect him to be ready for someone of the caliber of Jamel Charlo because Jamel's just on a different level, in my opinion. Now, I do think that Jamel can have pretty much as much success at 160, but I hope he stays at 154 for a bit. I would like to see him fight the following before he moves up. I'd like to see him fight... Fendora, Martazaliev, and Madrimov before he moves. The Madrimov fight is extremely intriguing. I still expect him to win, but now I move on to my dream fight of this era. Now, I'm sure a lot of people, I did for a while, say that their dream fight of today is Terrence Crawford versus Errol Spence. Now, I'm not going to lie. As of right now, I've kind of lost faith in that fight. I don't want to talk about it too much. I'm disappointed, but... I'm sure you guys remember in my first episode, I broke down their careers and as highly as I think of each, I said that I expect I would expect Terrence Crawford to stop Errol Spence Jr. late in a war. Now, I will say the main reason I was cheering for Terrence Crawford, not necessarily expecting him to win, was so he could face Jermel Charlo right after. Because, I don't know, just seeing a two-time undisputed champion versus another undisputed champion in a new weight class, that's just unheard of. It's such an intriguing fight. Both have such interesting, contrasting styles. Some similarities, too. Like, both are two of the best finishers today. Two of my favorites. Ultimately, two of the best in the, wor- in the world. And, uh... I would pay... Tremendous dollars <laughs> to see Jermel Trello and Terrence Crawford in the ring. And I promise you guys I do not say this to instigate because I know they've been having a war of words on Twitter. But, yeah, I don't say this to instigate. But who knows? Who knows what the future holds? Even if Terrence Crawford doesn't fight or beat Errol Spence, I'd still like to see that. So, well, there you have it. 
I've had this episode planned for a while. I feel I did the best I could. I had an absolute blast watching the fight fight careers of the Charlos, Harrison, uh, Harrison and Castano. And I feel like this lived up to expectations, so... Wait, 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 hold up, don't go anywhere yet. I don't really know how to split the audio and, like, reinsert some on the set, but so I don't have to make any corrections, I do want to say, to conclude things, uh, following Jermel on his journey, like, even just, like, YouTubing, Daily Motion, watching on DVDs, etc., etc., I know Charlo doesn't play video games, I don't play video games either, but I do want to say watching him do what he get he did against... Castano in both fights kind of felt like the boss level, you know, like the first one is just like because Undisputed is obviously boss level. Um, It kind of felt like same ones playing the action quest game. Uh, I can't really think of any examples because I don't really play like I guess God of War maybe like say one is uh, getting past all these people and then they fight a boss and uh. The boss is tougher than everybody, but the fact that it was a draw, which I agree with that draw, I felt like that was kind of like, one, having a hard time with the boss, but not losing, but perhaps something else comes up and uh, they have to turn off the game, like maybe they're tired or somebody comes over, they got to save their progress, but of course the progress isn't going to save for that fight, right? But um, that said, like watching him fight Castano again and completely like dominate him before stopping him the way that he did just ultimately felt like fighting the boss again and uh just ultimately destroying the boss just to capture all the gold so yes there you have it till next time Eddie Boomer is out